I try to encourage the collection manager or the collection, whoever's over the collection department, whatever your title is, whether it's a manager or AVP or VP, director, whatever that title is, you have someone higher up you answer to. And if you're doing text messaging, what is the t- what is not just your level of tolerance for risk, but what is the credit union's level of tolerance for risk? So what is your boss's tolerance for risk? What is their boss or the CEO's tolerance for risk? So I may be okay with a lot of risk, but I'm not the one who's going to stand in front of the board and answer the board and the CEO not. So again, these are discussions that need to happen and there needs to be understanding. And a lot of times I think, you know, the, the general advice of, you know, if you're going to go down this road, maybe start off by crawling before you get to walking. Walk before you start running. Welcome to Banking on Credit Unions, your leading law podcast dedicated to credit union matters. Hosted by Jim Sorensen from the elite team at SVL Law, where they specialize in collections, bankruptcy and foreclosure law designed for credit unions. From landmark cases to innovative legal strategies, Banking on Credit Unions podcast is here to shine a light on the legal pathways impacting your credit union. If you want to uncover legal insights designed just for you, listen and join the conversation. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you to the Banking on Credit Unions podcast. I am your host, Jim Sorensen, and I'm excited for today's episode. I have with me today my partner, Steve Orsillo. He's with me, and we're going to be discussing the art of communication, essential tools for the dialogue with debtors. The whole idea today is to discuss the tools that exist, the technology that exists for communicating with delinquent borrowers. And we often get a lot of questions about this. We get questions about what the law allows. Can we use this type of technology to communicate with the borrower? Can we do this? Is there a specific concern with using these types of technologies? The one we probably get the most questions about is text messaging. And we're going to discuss that today. I want to start off by pointing out that There are no regulations that ban or prevent a particular mode of communications. In other words, there's not a a law or regulation that says, hey, you can't text a delinquent borrower, you can't call a delinquent borrower, you can't send an email to a delinquent borrower. But there are regulations that focus on certain behavior. And so they look at things like consent to communication. They look at things like privacy of the borrower and preventing harassment. And so these are the things that we're going to be talking about today. And I've asked Steve to join me because Steve has spoken on this issue before at credit union events. And uh, these are questions that we get often, aren't they? Always great to be here with you. But um, I think this is obviously a good source tax, but on these different things, I don't want to communication is essential in collecting. Cover money, telephone, text messages, and we see with clients all for One of those topics always come. Client perk up or credit union perk up. So, what are some of the questions that you get about these issues about communication tools, communication means? Yeah, I mean, clients are always looking for, I think, new ways to communicate with borrowers. Or refer to them, 
and compensable. What can they do? What can they not do under the PCP Act? Phone calls, text message, and emails. Centers and bankruptcy. What can we do there or not? There. Site visits, door knocks. Yeah, and this is a topic like you've pointed out. We get a lot of these questions at the Source Expo, our annual credit union conference that we do. We get these questions from clients just in terms of looking at their individual process and procedures. So well, let's start by kind of defining some of the applicable laws that apply here to this discussion of means of communication. So what are the laws that, that we're dealing with or that interact with this issue? I think there's several different laws that credit unions have to be aware of and deal with. Obviously, real. A common one that always comes up in Florida, the Florida Consumer Collection Practices Act, the FCCPA, I believe, kind of mirrors the FDCPA, but the difference here is Florida Consumer Collection could apply to print. You got some exceptions there about whether it applies to printing or not. It does apply. And Florida said something every credit union collected in Florida. Florida financial rights, privacy laws, you have full privacy laws you need to be aware of. And then obviously the CFPB, you know, everyone that's heard of that point where they're positive. Yeah. It's every sort of little thing out there. They like to jump on the side. Uh, so obviously so. And I think the hardest part about the last one, the CFPB is a lot of their guidance is not in the traditional form of a written regulation or a written law. It's more edicts and directives that they issue. So it's either they've, they've taken action against the lender, or a credit union, a bank, or some other financial institution, and they've said, hey, this is what you're not supposed to do. Or in their supervisory comments that they give, they indicate these types of behaviors are problematic. So it leaves a lot of times with the CFBB, the problem is, is there's not a clear answer on some of these issues. Well, you know, how big you and you don't or else. You know. So let's start with the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, the TCPA, and what technology does this apply to? Because this is one we get a lot of questions about. Does the TCPA impact this or does it impact that? So what are the technologies or means of communication, if you will, that apply here? I think it's the name indicated. It's like a telephone call. Yeah. Place credit unions have analyzing like funds, applying there, but also the patient, right? Nobody wants to talk on the phone anymore. But obviously, it applies well, which is a new thing. With numbers or behind on the voicemail. Technology here that just drops a voicemail message uh, without ringing. Oh. All of a sudden, I didn't see the phone ring, but I've got this voicemail. Where did this come? Yeah, so that's where. That's only really going to work. And it also addresses. Yeah, and the, and the thing that people need to remember when we talk about the TCPA, there's a set of rules for marketing calls. And we're not talking about marketing calls today because we are focused on what would be considered a collection call, collection communication. 
So the marketing rules don't apply to that. So in the marketing realm under the TCPA, it can apply to calls to the residential landline. Um, for purposes of collection calls, it only applies to calls to a cell phone, but most borrowers, their only phone is a cell phone. Other than maybe they've provided a work line, they've got an office number or a work number, and that may not be a cell phone. But usually what is now their personal number is a cell phone. And so this law obviously impacts a lot of the phone calls that collections departments are making. So it's important to kind of understand the limits of that law. So what means of communication does the Florida Consumer Collections Practices Act apply to? Are there certain ones this applies to and doesn't apply to others? It's all technology. Telephone, text, email, whatever. Person. Yeah. Coming to the branch, you have out. Yeah, the Florida Consumer Collections Practices Act, or as we call it, the FCCPA, does have these, you know, I always joke about the 17 commandments or 18 commandments, whatever it is. There's a lot of thou shall nots in the statute, and uh, these would apply to any form of communication. And, and some of these are pretty basic rules. We've talked about these before. Some of them are, you know, you can't use uh, abusive language. You can't threaten violence. We, we all know that those aren't the things that we're concerned about. For most people, they understand that. And, but I'm referencing those because obviously, again, the law would apply to the written letter. It would apply to a text message. It would apply to an email or a phone call. But then there's other parts of the statute that aren't as clear. And we'll kind of talk more about that in a second. So which communication tools does the federal and state privacy laws apply to? Laws, again, are going to apply to all regular mail, write a letter or something like that. The reasoning there, obviously, is it's a federal crime when someone else takes someone's mailbox and really help them away. That's kind of the yeah, I think this is one that people forget. The privacy laws are strict standards of privacy. And so even though you may intend a message or a communication to go to your borrower, if it is intercepted by a third party, then you have violated the law. So intent doesn't matter. And so, you know, the safest form of communication is a letter, but we also know that's probably the least effective because most letters are going to see a letter from the credit union. They know they're delinquent on the loan. They have no incentive to open it up. They'd rather just throw it away and ignore the problem, which is probably. You know, so many people are actually checking the reality of the other Right. Right. When it does come in. I'm just prompt to think most bells jumps. Am I really going to start preventing this stuff? And, yeah, same for the same of years. John Doe and Amber helping it up. It's awesome. And, and I think that's part of the, the recognition that clients have to come to is there's safe ways to communicate with a borrower, but they're not always very effective. And then there's more risky ways to communicate with a borrower. And so when you move on to technology, such as text messaging, we all know text messages are easily could be intercepted 
by somebody else. I could have my phone sitting here. You and I are talking. I get up to go to the restroom or go grab a drink or whatever. And I leave my phone on the table and a text message pops up. And depending on the settings on my iPhone, you may be able to see the text message. Sure. And again, it wasn't intended yep. that you saw it, but you did see it. And so technically, if I know that as the consumer, I could argue you, you know, the sender of that text has violated my privacy. If that text contains what would be protected information under those privacy laws. So that's the part that always gets people. And I'm not, we obviously aren't saying don't use text messaging. We're just saying you need to be aware of the risk given the privacy laws, whereas Mail has none of those yeah. risks, but it's probably your least effective tool yeah. in communicating. So what about the guidance by the CFPB? Does this apply to one particular type of communication tool or how, how does how does that work? I think it, you kind of alluded to the CFPB put out on, on whatever it wants, whatever. It, it focuses on all communication tools, phone calls. But it's kind of, it's, it's today's age, we're talking more about technology, common technology. Yeah, and it seems to me that what the CFPB is doing is kind of supplementing the law. So there's a lot of laws on the books that have dealt with telephone calls for a while. I mean, phone calls have been around for a while. Obviously, that technology has existed. And the law is always slow to evolve, too technology, right? We now see the U.S. government trying to deal with AI. There are no real laws or regulations on AI, and the president has announced some things he's going to try to do from executive order, but it's always reactionary. And I feel like that's what the CFPB does. So they've given some guidance on emails and text message and some of these things that aren't necessarily specifically addressed in other laws. Again, text message does fall under the TCPA, but emails is kind of one of those. And so when the CFPB put out the guidance under the FDCPA, the FDCPA regulation, which again, does not directly apply to creditors collecting their own debts. So credit unions collecting their own debts, but there's some guidance in there about email that can be effective and probably are become best practices for our credit union clients. So those are things that people need to be aware of. Those are things that credit unions and collection departments need to be aware of. Well, let's talk about text messaging for a moment. This is the one that I probably get my most questions if we're going to just focus in on the various means of communication. This is the one. So what are some of the general rules or guidance on using text messaging? What do we kind of say, here's the best practices or the things you need to be aware of? And I think the first thing, you know, when someone reaches out and asks, First thing you confirm you have the TC before you can start sending out. So you have some sort of agreement in place, the loan documents, whatever the case is. I know. Make sure that's in place. You have a process in place. It's part of that where you can kind of track down because you always have to give the member the option to opt at least that. It's not in a collection setting, but just in general, right? Reply stuff. But it's got to make sure you're on it. You're just opted out. But now you're going to have some pretty Those are kind of the initial things to think about and look at. 
one, do we have the right proper contents in place? Then we track and it's just a basis. But then you have to have the software in place that allows an unofficial of manner with texting. Obviously, clients probably enjoy it because everybody knows if anything, you look at a text message, right? You may not respond, but most of us, you not know, necessarily all of us, work back. Yeah, and I think on the software, it's, I've seen some of the different texting solutions that are out there for credit unions, for collection departments, and, and some is better than others. To me, if the collection software integrates with your collection software so that a record of the text message is automatically included or uploaded into the collection notes, that is definitely more efficient than having to look at another system to see if a text message was sent or having records in more than one system. So, you know, and then the ability, right, to send text messaging and batch. Can I just batch these certain accounts and send a text message out on them where it's all the same message to 100 different members um, that meet a certain criteria? Or can I have the text message go out in a certain day of delinquency? Some of the texting software has that more has more flexibility than others. So the client needs to think about that. Does the text message software allow for responses? Because one of the things we see, and we know this is true, if you send a text message that says, hey, you know, please contact ABC Credit Union. We're trying to get a hold of you, Steve. Um, some people are going to call, right? They're going to do what that message says. But some people are going to respond, try to respond to the text. I know this is about my auto loan. Yeah. Just tell me what I owe, right? How much do I have to pay? Or I'm going to pay it by Friday, whatever the response yeah. back. Well, if the software doesn't capture that response and put, give that response to some human to be able to deal with, right? Whether it's a follow-up call or to track the promise to pay, if there's a promise to pay in that text message. So the software has to be dynamic enough to do that. And again, some software is better than others. We aren't in the business of making recommendations, but we've seen some better ones and some ones that aren't as good. So I think that's uh, something that you've got to decide about. What else? What are some of the other guidances? Well, I think kind of what go off of your button. Just more message or we can allow our collectors more personalized conversations towards the situation because obviously they're collection tools is to figure out, hey, what is going on? I can help solve it, right? Let's help you cover the money, resolve the delinquency, all those sort of things. What's your tolerance for risk? They're going to be more of a collection versus controlling it and going, all right, this is what we're going to say. Taxes, personal language. So you got to kind of think about those things. Obviously, like I said, make sure you got to now, disclaimer, that's always important. And then also, in our, our recommendation on texting is a communication on the in your collection policy. And for numbers, so everyone knows what they need to be doing and not be doing. Just wild, sending text messages, violating the law and all sorts of stuff. So I think that's always important. You're like, Yeah, no, those all are. And I think those are good points that 
clients need to think through when they do. And you've hit on this and we've already talked about it once, but again, how much risk are you comfortable with? And this is always the discussion that I try to encourage the collection manager or the collection, whoever's over the collection department, whatever your title is, whether it's a manager or AVP or VP director, whatever that title is, you have someone higher up you answer to. And, you know, if you're doing text messaging, what is the, what is not just your level of tolerance for risk, but what is the credit union's level of tolerance for risk? So what is your boss's tolerance for risk? What is their boss or the CEO's tolerance for risk? So I may be okay with a lot of risk, but I'm not the one who's going to stand in front of the board and answer to the board and the CEO may not. So again, these are discussions that need to happen and there needs to be understanding. And a lot of times I think, you know, the, the general advice of, you know, if you're going to go down this road, maybe start off by crawling before you get to walking and walk before you start running. So you can always start the text messaging, just doing canned messages and then open it up from there. Once you see how it's working and how effective it is, I, I obviously text messaging seems to be a great tool if you're membership is younger. You know, I know with my own kids who are in their twenties or late teens, we've had this conversation before and I'll call and leave a message for my son, my middle son, and he'll text dad, what do you want? In the middle of me calling because he doesn't want to talk on the phone. And of course my response is pick up the phone and call me. I don't want to text. I want you to call me, but I'm his dad. I can handle that different than a collection department. So, but again, You know, don't just jump into texting without thinking these things through. And these are things that obviously Steve or I and our firm has helped clients walk through these things. We've helped clients set these things up. So this is important. We also seem to get a lot of questions about door knock services. So under Florida and Georgia law, we're Florida, Georgia lawyers. I'm Florida, Georgia lawyer. You're a Florida lawyer. We only talk about those laws. So I don't know what the other 48 states allow, but in the, in Georgia and Florida, is door knock services allowed? I think simply speaking in Florida, yes, yes. utilize a door knock service. Assume I think more than kind of the same. Yeah, it is. How do we sit on in terms of privacy laws when we start banging on doors, having communications out in the open? Simply speaking, yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we get a lot of questions on. And, you know, there's not an outright prohibition on going to knock on a door regarding an outstanding debt. But the question becomes, is it effective? What's the risk? What's the reward? Most credit unions don't want their own employees going out and doing this in today's day and age. That's a little dangerous. There are companies who do this. There's a cost to this. This is probably your highest cost means of communication. What we see is some clients use it in the foreclosure world. And I think in the foreclosure world, it has its place. Even if the door knock service doesn't knock on the door, they're just more of a field visit and they go to see the condition of the property, make sure the roof's intact, those types of things. Does it appear the home's vacant or occupied? All that can be helpful information, but the ability to go and knock on a door and say, Hey, credit union is trying to get a hold of you. They really want to speak with you. Um, Nothing's wrong with that. The the concern, obviously, like you said, is the privacy concerns. And if you're going to a home where 
they live on three acres and there's no neighbors nearby and the borrower is the only one at home or the borrowers are the only one at home. Um, sir, no big concern there. But if they're in an apartment building where their neighbors can hear and you're having a conversation about their delinquent loan and the fact that their Honda Accord may be repoed in the next day or two and their neighbors overhear it, yeah, concern. So it's all in how you handle it. It's why it's important to go out there and do your homework. Underwritten. I feel the credit unions in the end that utilize it. Figure out who's good and engage them before you. And have a good contract in place that shifts the lot, make sure that they bear the liability if their employee goes off the rails, if their employee does something wrong. So how does bankruptcy complicate this discussion? We're talking about different means of communication. You know, I want to touch on bankruptcy, but how does bankruptcy complicate the decision about what tools do we want available for our collection department to use? Yeah. Any time a bankruptcy is filed, most collectors are concerned, right? Because you've got this automatic pay and effect, you can collect that information filed. So, you know, you got communication going out, all sorts of automated notices, notices, monthly statements, you know, all those sort of means of communication. You just obviously cease those flag your system to cut those off. File bankruptcy in the state's in effect, otherwise, you're violating all sorts. Think about it and then communicating as well, right? Text messages, emails, phone calls. Obviously, you shouldn't be calling members or sending out text messages. Yeah, your payments seven days past or whatever be when there's so or kind of more or less ceasing. Well, you got systems in place, like catch those. Yeah. And I think this is, again, where you've got to think about all the different various tools you have and how they integrate. So it, it would be great if you could go into one spot and stop all your forms of communication. But if you have a separate texting software that doesn't integrate with your core system or your collection system, so you got to stop messages from going from the core. You got to stop messages from going from the collection software. You got to step stop messages from going from the texting software. And then on top of that, we've got door knock people out there and we've got to make sure that if we've assigned this to a door knock, that as soon as we get notice, we're now communicating with a door knock to not go knock on that door. We may have assigned it two days ago and they're on their way to knock on the door today and it's on their afternoon run and we get notice in the morning, can we effectively cut that off? So these, are, uh, again, play it's, into the conversation. Get the client. Turned everything off and then, you know, logo signals are going. Now the member is back. It's gone, going, why you guys battling this? You can do anything. And then you go look at the logo. Oh, it's like you're saying, oh, we, we cut off the text off. And, and, they, and that's obviously part of that risk reward analysis. So I like to make sure clients are thinking about that. As we kind of bring this conversation to a closure, I do want to, you know, point out, I think something that's very important in it, and it's not necessarily discussing the various means of communication, but making sure that we always keep focused the purpose of collection communications. This is something that anybody who's heard me talk before who's read my book I wrote, they're going to be aware of this. I talk about this often, but I think it's one of these things, there's such a lack of understanding in the collection world 
What is the purpose of collection communications? And we know it's not to harass the debtor. People know that they're not supposed to harass. But if you took the average collector from the average credit union and you sat them down and asked them, what's the purpose of you calling the debtor? What's the purpose of you texting the debtor? We're going to get a bunch of answers. And if you press them on this, it starts to sound like harassment. It starts to go in that direction. And, you know, what people need to remember is the purpose of collection communication is threefold. It's to convey information, it's to gather information, and it's to look for a solution or resolution of the delinquency. So when I say convey information, this is, hey, Mr. Smith, do you realize your loan's past due? And in certain situations, the conveying of information may be different than others, right? We know that if the credit union has forced place insurance added to an auto loan and under their forced place insurance, they increase the payment of the loan to compensate or cover the insurance uh, advance, then you've got a member who's making the old payment, not the new payment. Do you realize, Mr. Smith, that your payment has gone from 300 a month to 450 a month and you're falling further and further behind? That's all part of conveying information. Obviously, gathering information is to find out what's going on with the debtor. This is probably the hardest part of the collection process is getting the person on the phone to have that conversation to gather information. Comfortable enough to open. So, hey, what is going on? And we need to know that so we can ultimately, the third purpose, find the solution or resolution of the delinquency. So if they're just, you know, if they've lost a job and they're temporarily short on money, do we have some options that can help them? If it's a long-term situation where they had a serious health issue, and now they can no longer return to a stressful job. So their income's been cut permanently moving forward. Maybe they're on disability. That's different than, hey, I was out of work for a week in the hospital for a gallbladder issue or a appendix issue, but I'm all better now and I'm back to work. I just had an interruption in income. Well, those are the things that we need to know so we can find the solutions. So as you think about the purpose of communication, you need to understand that once you can no longer fulfill any of those purposes. Once you can no longer, there's no more information to convey. The borrower understands they're delinquent. They know the payment. They just don't care. There's no further information to get. The borrower doesn't manage their finances well, and they're not going to pay the credit card anymore. They just made that decision. And there's no resolution because they've already decided they're not paying it. They don't care what you do to them. Then further communication at that point begins to start to look like harassment. And so this is the thing we try to get our clients to understand. Communication for the effect of communication. Yes, let's continue to reach and talk to the debtor if there's a chance that we can reach a resolution. But once the debtor says, I'm not paying, I don't care what you do to me, leave me alone. The purpose behind communication is ended. And so communication needs to, to end and that the situations needs to be escalated to that whatever the next stage is i.e. we you know, charge off the loan if it's an unsecured loan and decide whether we're going to take legal action or not, maybe set off on some monies and deposit accounts. If it's an auto loan, it's time to go get our auto. Even though we don't want to, there's no other option. And of course, in the foreclosure realm, it may be time to start foreclosing, assuming we get to the 120-day rule. So I, I'll close it with this and I'll give this example. And this is a, a real example. And 
not going to obviously disclose the client that was involved, but this is from a while ago in my career. But I had a situation where a credit union, I got called from in-house lawyer at a credit union, and he says, hey, Jim, we've gotten sued in a case, something to do with harassment, debt collection stuff. I think it's a bogus claim. Can you defend it? You know, sure, we'll be happy to defend it. Go ahead and send us, and I tell them what information to send. And of course, we get the complaint. We get the information that the client provides. I think I went back and asked for some more information um, because I wanted to see there was an allegation of the credit union harassing calls, that they were calling with such frequency to the debtor that they were harassing the debtor. And so I needed to know how many calls had we had the client committed during this time period or attempted during this time period. And so when I got the call records and looked at them in a two month period, the credit union had attempted, or it was actually, they were using an outside agency, but still it's the credit union. It's the credit union's agent had attempted 97 calls over a two month period. And these calls did not happen on weekends. So really, if you take 60 days and you take the weekends out, once I noticed that, once I understood those facts, I called the client up, called the in-house lawyer up that had referred the matter to me. And I said to him, hey, we need to settle this case. This is a loser. We're going to lose. We need to settle. And he's like, what's so? Why? I thought it was a bogus claim. And I said, well, you know, here, let me tell you. And so I told him about the 97 calls and I said, here's the problem. We put the witness on the stand, right? The person who's calling on this account. And I asked them or the lawyer on the other side asked them more appropriately. It's going to probably be the plaintiff's lawyer. Asked them, what did you think the 97th call was going to accomplish that the 96th call didn't accomplish? What's going to be their answer? And then they're just going to march down. What did you think the 96th call was going to do that the 95th call? I mean, again, at some point it became apparent this debtor in this example, in this case, the debtor had no intention of working with the credit union. They had effectively told the credit union to pound sand. And at that point, the credit union should have charged it off and gone to whatever the next stage is. Now, if the next stage is nothing because they don't, to recovery, then so be it. That's the business decision the credit union has made. But if you are going to work it in a recovery attempt, then maybe litigation is appropriate and taking that borrower to court. I don't know if the borrower is collectible. That isn't the point. But the point of the story is that no matter what we're talking about, when we're talking about communication, the clients need to keep the primary focus on what is the purpose of the communication. And if you keep that in sight, you're going to avoid a lot of problems. It's when that goes offsite and it's just get me a payment. Just keep calling till you get a payment. That starts to look and sound like harassment. For sure. A lot of calls. It is a lot of calls. It is a lot of calls. Well, Steve, thank you for joining me today. It's been a enlightening discussion. I hope the listeners have enjoyed what we've discussed today and we've provided some useful information. If we have, please like and subscribe to the podcast. We can be found on Spotify. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and, uh, and, and uh, Amazon and any other place you find your podcast. If you want more information about prior podcasts, you can go to our website, www.com forward slash podcast 
and there's information there. You can sign up there also for our newsletter if you're not already receiving our newsletter or other emails and uh, communications from our office. But again, uh, Steve, thank you for joining me today and look forward to doing our next podcast together. Thanks for joining us this week on Banking on Credit Unions. Make sure to visit our website, www.svllaw.com forward slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. When it comes to credit union law, the Sorensen Van Leuven Law Firm has you covered. Reach out to us at svllaw.com because every credit union deserves top legal representation. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.